Good morning. Our first scripture reading is from Isaiah 40, 21. I'm fine. Um, 40, 21 through 31. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like the tent to live in. Who brings princes to naught and makes the rulers of the earth as nothing? Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. But when he blows upon them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble, to whom then will you compare me? Or who is equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host and numbers them, calling them all by name, because he is great in strength and mighty in power, and not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? A way is hidden from the Lord, and the right is disregarded from my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator to the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. He is understanding and unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and he strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Our second scripture reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 29 through 39. That's Mark 1, 29 through 39. As soon as they had left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered around the door, and he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. The word of God. So as a lot of y'all probably know, uh, over the last two months, there's been a fair amount of my mother-in-law in in my house. Uh, For one reason or another, uh, I think it's probably getting close to about three and a half of the last eight weeks. Would that be fair that my mother-in-law has been living in my house? She's not anymore. Thanks be to God. Um, So but between her being there and then the holidays, uh, my house has been pretty full for a minute. Uh, And having an in-law at your house, I don't know if anybody's aware of this, uh, can cause a, a, a host of different things to run through your head. Uh, so I'm sure uh, in the scripture reading today when we see about Simon's mother-in-law uh, being sick at his house, there's a lot of stuff going through the apostle's mind in this story. 
so one of the things I like about Mark's gospel, okay, so we're in the gospel of Mark this year. Uh, in Mark's gospel, Mark does an excellent job at taking minutes because almost every story tells you chronologically when it happened in relationship to something else. Uh, and sometimes even twice. I don't know if you'll notice that. A lot of times he'll give you two different time, like it's in the morning when it was still dark. Like there's always this like comma and then like an explanation, like in the morning at 6.37 a.m. Um, so Mark's telling us in the beginning of this story that this is immediately when they left the synagogue, which is for folks who remember Chuck's sermon last week, is exactly where, where we left off last week. So this is a continuation of the story from last week where Jesus healed an unclean spirit in the church. So just like this, just like last week, we're in Capernaum. Uh, last week he was in the synagogue. He healed, the un- he healed the unclean spirit, which as Chuck talked about last week, we don't know if that means demon. We don't know if that means mental illness, but it just tells us that Jesus has the ability to heal in this situation. So Jesus, Jesus's new disciples, because this is very early in the, in the relationship Jesus has with Simon and Andrew and John and James, they see this and it seems they immediately say, Hey, can you come to my house? Because I've got somebody you should meet. So immediately they head to Simon's house where his mother-in-law lies in bed with a fever. Can you imagine? Hi. Uh, I, I know I just said that I would follow you. And you took me to church. But you healed a guy there. And my mother-in-law has been to my house for a really long time. And I was wondering if you could help do something about that. Um, no, we don't know why Simon's mother-in-law was there. She might have just lived there. That's very common in that time to have extended family living in your house. She might have just been there because of her sickness. But it does say something that Simon immediately says. You, you you got something going on, and I'd really like for you to check out this mother-in-law thing. That's great. So either way, she's sick. Jesus lifts her up out of bed, and she is healed of her fever. Something that I've been thinking about in preparation for the sermon is just how crazy this has to be for the disciples. Because, like I said, this is, for all intents and purposes, from our understanding in Mark's gospel, one of the first interactions they're really having with Jesus outside of teaching. This is the first time they see this. And by the way Mark tells it, these guys really just kind of came off the boat. And it's just sudden, like, they don't, because they're in Mark's gospel, the call to come and follow. Just come and follow so I may may be fishers of men. It's not like they signed anything. It's just a, a pick up and go. So they're really learning as they go along. So this is an, like, a profound impression of what Jesus is there to do. This is kind of like, to me, a situation when, when a kid in a cul-de-sac gets like the coolest toy ever and just like starts going around to all the other kids on the block and is like, look at this. It shoots lasers. And so this relationship they suddenly have with this teacher, look what this guy can do. And so that's what happens all of the town. They, a lot of them know about what just happened at the church. And then Simon and Andrew are obviously saying, Hey, this mother-in-law used to not be able to move. And now she like, so suddenly everybody's saying, check Jesus out. Look at what he can do. And the whole town is outside the door. The whole city, it says of Capernaum is standing outside their door. 
and people are getting healed left and right. Um, people who couldn't walk would now be dancing. People who could not talk would now be singing. And that's, it, it really sounds like, like a, like a party to an extent. It sounds like, like a block party outside of Simon's house because everyone is getting together and meeting Jesus. So the fascinating thing is none of this really says Jesus is doing a lot of teaching in this moment. He did teaching in the synagogue, but from this moment where the majority of the city is interacting with him, he's really just interacting with the people as a person. So Jesus is just ministering and interacting with these people as an individual, as a part of a community. And so there's no hierarchical Jesus, like Sermon on the Mount teaching and these people sitting underneath. It is an interaction just like any other fellowship interaction would be. Can you imagine how excited and how full of electricity this would be? They're just all so excited and it kind of just ends. Like as it doesn't say when it ends with the way Mark keeps up with time. It doesn't really say, you know, this is it goes until 1130 and then everyone goes home. So we don't know how long this goes, but we can assume that it's a pretty draining experience because, I mean, that's a big, all of a sudden impromptu get together. So that, but that's sometimes what ministering looks like. That sometimes is this long drawn out, just impromptu being around people. And it's beautiful. But the next morning, Jesus wakes up. And as, like I said, Mark says he wakes up before the sun comes up and goes out on his own. So thanks to the excellent minutes provided by Mark, we understand that however long he might have been sleeping, he suddenly needs to get re-energized spiritually. Jesus has been with the folks at Capernaum, and now he goes off to be alone and pray. Even when Jesus is ministering to the physical needs of the people, he's still operating in a spiritual mode. And while there might not have been any God language in that interaction with the town, in the, um, now that it's over, Jesus heads out to, to go bathe in God language. He goes out to be, after being surrounded by people, to have some time of holy solitude. Now, solitude is hard for some people. I understand that. But Scripture shows us time and again that it's sometimes the only way to spiritually recharge. Jesus does it throughout the Gospels. It's a very common way for Jesus to, to get some, some time to be just with him and God. The Psalms and the Proverbs both talk about the reorienting, reorienting power of stepping away. And in the Old Testament, we hear from the story of Elijah how sometimes we hear God in the still, small voices. So stepping away from the hustle and bustle might be the only way to appropriately reorient sometimes. One of my favorite authors is a guy named Richard Rohr, and he talks about solitude. He says, in solitude, at last, we're able to let God define us the way we're supposed to be defined, by relationship. The I-thou relationship. In relationship to a presence that demands nothing of us but presence itself. Not performance, but presence. But what does this mean when we have a whole town wanting us to perform? That's where Jesus was this morning. Now, I bet with a sick mother-in-law in his house, Simon understood the need for solitude. But he, that's not what's on his mind when he comes out seeking with the rest of the apostles for Jesus that morning. They come to tell Jesus, everyone is searching for you. 
the town of Capernaum has woke up wanting an encore of the evening's performance. And it seems the disciples are among them in that request. The New Revised Standard, which is what I read out of this morning, has some fascinating language. It says that they were hunting for Jesus. I think that's got a connotation to it that's just more than looking for. Uh, It reminded me of the old short story, The Most Dangerous Game. Does anybody remember The the Most Dangerous Game? Does that sound familiar to people? Uh, It was an old short story about a general who was a big game hunter, and he got bored of the danger of big game hunting. So he started, had an island, and every time sailors crash-landed on the island, he trained them up and then sent them out with a knife and then hunted the, the sailors So because people are the most dangerous game. Um, so when they say they're hunting Jesus, there's this connotation of not just looking for, but like hunting down, like we're going to find him. So it's hard to question why Simon and the other apostles are looking for Jesus in this way. Because like I said earlier, this is suddenly like their eyes are opening to the potential of this relationship they have with this teacher. So because thanks to this relative stranger who just came into their lives, so many of their lives, so many in their lives have been changed for the better. So many neighbors, family members have been healed of problems that they had. Whoever this new teacher in their life was, he surely has a power that they need to keep around. They can't just let him out of their sight. And so when he goes off on their own, on his own, they're like, oh, well, is he gone now? Is this over? What is this? And so as while Jesus was teaching yesterday, that probably isn't at this moment the thing that they're thinking about near as much. They're not thinking about him as a teacher as much as they're thinking about him as a miracle worker. So what does Jesus say when they come looking for him? He flips the script. He doesn't say, it's kind of almost to an extent, preemptively quotes Gandalf from Lord of the Rings when he says, do not take me a conjurer of cheap tricks. Because he says that he's going to head out into other towns and bring the message that he's come to teach. You see, the disciples were excited about the change that Jesus was bringing in the lives of those around them, and even in their lives to an extent. But what they failed to consider was the change that he had yet to bring in their lives. Their family, their friends were being bettered by Jesus being there and to their lives to an extent, but their hearts hadn't changed yet. Their lives hadn't changed yet. Jesus is no conjurer of cheap tricks. He's a healer, but he doesn't just heal our body and our mind. He heals our spirit. He heals our eyes and he heals our hearts. He heals us completely as time-consuming as, and as painful as that may be. At this stage in the game, the apostles have no way of knowing what's coming. They have no way to know that this story doesn't end in a party in Capernaum. The story goes on throughout Galilee to Jerusalem and for them to the side of a cross. That's the promise, though, when we come hunting for Jesus. No matter what brings us to Jesus, the promise is that we change. The promise is that time with Christ makes us more like Christ. No matter our motivation for tracking him down, at some point he starts doing what he does best. 
at some point, we start to engage with a God who loves us enough to help us be more whole, no matter what that looks like. So hunting Jesus is the most dangerous game. It's dangerous to who we used to be, who we want to be, and who we think we are. Because it makes us more like Jesus. Because Jesus subverts all of what we think we are and makes us who God calls us to be. Let us pray.